0: Well thank you Gordon and thank you folks for coming this morning and trusting me with a few of your minutes here this morning and I want to say that this is a big issue and it's a very real issue for many and maybe for some of you it's very real in your own church setting or whatever Um, so I want to share with you just from my experience. I don't write books. I'm not going to promote books or get you to sign up to something where you'll get 100 emails. Nothing like that at all. I want to just tell you some things from my experience. And if there's just one thing that you pick up this morning, that'll be terrific. And let the other stuff just slide off like a non-stick pan. Just hold on to that one thing that... uh, god might say to you this morning i'm um, i live in hollywood i'm an elder in a church there i'm married to janet she's a nurse and a counselor uh, with three adult children and um, we enjoy living with the lord and enjoy using our gifts we have spent most of our time working in the greater Belfast area as well as other parts of Northern Ireland and then we had five years um, where we went overseas with our church and served in that way on this topic as well. Um, So I'm glad to share with you this morning. At At the very end I want, I've got a few slides here but at the very end there'll be a slide which will mention three books and If you want to follow up this topic, then you might get one of those or whatever and have a look at it. Um, I'll also be highlighting a particular website, as Gordon's already mentioned, Mediation Northern Ireland, where I worked for 11 years, and um, they have experience in this thing, and they also have experience in working with churches and congregations. I want to talk to you folks this morning um, as Christian leaders. Uh, leaders enough to come to an event here at New Horizon. Leaders enough to maybe pastor or minister in a congregation or to lead a house group or a small group or to run a youth group or a woman's group or a pastoral care group. You are leaders and I want to talk to you as Christian leaders this morning in that kind of context. My time on this issue, I suppose, culminated in about three years ago, the Presbyterian Church asked me to write a report on work that I had been doing and looking ahead for that particular denomination on this very issue. Uh, That report covered over 70 congregations that I knew of because I'd been not directly invo- I was directly involved in over 40 of them, but 70 congregations that were hitting a problem. And for some of those, for a lot of those, it ended in tears and separation and pain. And for some, it meant a pastor moving, and for others, he or she stayed, and some other people moved. So this is a a very real issue and I want to treat it with respect and I hope that you will find it useful this morning. A little overview of how Christians handle conflict. Usually we handle it with silence. We don't talk about it. This is often the dirty secret of the church and not just the Presbyterian church because I know that the Methodist church also have done a major report in the last five years on issues concerning that particular denomination, which raised its head, actually, when somebody at their annual conference said, why are so many of our pastors off on, with stress, which is a very common byproduct of of congregational conflict so they've had their own Church of Ireland have also dealt with it and also all the other denominations have had to struggle with this issue so it isn't just uh, particular to one denomination silence is how it's often dealt with issues being kept off the agenda of leaders meetings or leaders meetings not even being called Some individuals or whole families moving church. Or a minister or pastor moving church and house and schools for the children. So this is a huge issue. I met a woman in the street in Belfast just last week actually. She stopped me and said, Joe, why is there so many churches in conflict? It was a long answer (laughs) and I didn't have very long to to stand with her, but um, she also was someone who's engaged in the secular side of work, primarily through marriage separations, but was also seeing this issue in the Christian church. I want, here in the next 30 or 40 minutes, um, suggest to you that there are five top tips that i would give a christian leader to work on this issue five top tips and i want to go through of them through them just carefully and then at the end i want to offer to you the microphone and you can ask your question i might be able to answer it but also somebody else in here also might have an answer so let me um push this on a little bit First tip develop a new understanding of conflict. Develop a greater understanding of ourselves. Understand how groups function. That's any group, a woman's group, a youth group, a leader's group, any group. How a group functions together. Number four, discern what approach is best. There are several approaches to a tense situation and that one of the skills we need to develop is which approach is best and number five some tools that we need to gather for ourselves in order to work at conflict develop a new understanding well what I want to say is this Conflict isn't always wrong. In fact, sometimes it can be very good. It's very wrong to continually avoid an issue, to not talk about it, or to talk about it in the church car park or outside the house group rather than inside the meeting. It's not always good. In fact, sorry, it's not always bad. Conflict can be very positive. It's a normal part of human relationships. I often say to my wife, if she and I were just the same sorts of people, there'd be no need for her. I could do everything. Well, she, of course, would say there'd be no need for me. But the the reality is we are different. My wife and I are different, and we all are different. And as we set about running churches and leading churches and leading groups, We are different, and because we are different, then at times we are going to bump into one another. That is the reality of being different we are going to bump into one another. It is a normal part of human relationships. Conflict in the Church another positive can be because people care. They care about what is happening. On a Sunday or a Wednesday or whatever. They care about the relationships in the congregation. And they care about the glory of God. People care. Also, conflict can be an opportunity for personal growth. Who said the Christian life is going to be easy? We know it's not. We know it's a challenge. And even a challenge living and working with brothers and sisters. We can learn a lot about ourselves and other people as we observe or are involved in conflict within our churches. We can, if we are open to learn, learn an awful lot about ourselves. In fact, let me say this, conflict is neutral. Because we're different, it arises. We bump into, we have different opinions, different priorities. We bump into people. That very conflict is neutral. How we handle it makes it a positive experience or a negative one. But in itself, it's actually neutral. Okay, I want to now look at a Bible passage. Let me read it. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am among them. When do you hear that last phrase, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I among them? Usually at a poorly attended prayer meeting or evening event. I want to say that in the context of where it was written, that seems to suggest that where two or three people are there to work out an agreement on a conflict, Jesus is there among them. Look at the very first word. If your brother seems to suggest, I don't want to build a whole theology around one word, especially one with two letters in it, but if seems to suggest Jesus speaking, that we are going to be offended. We are going to bump into and hurt other people or ourselves. It's there. Jesus talked about it. What did he say we should do? Deal with the situation directly and privately if possible. Go to the person. Seems simple, doesn't it? One of the hardest things to do. Somebody has offended you, especially a brother or sister in the church. The hardest thing to do is to go to them. We find it much easier to talk to other people about them. Usually our friends. Go to them first command in working on conflict, move towards it, not away from it. If that doesn't work, use two or three other people. Probably not your friends. Probably people that the other person respects. Would you come with me while we talk to you? He respects you. She respects you, will you come with me while we try to talk this through? Take two or three with you. If that doesn't work, use the church. And, you know, in this day, most of our churches have processes for dealing with conflict. Gordon mentioned in his introduction the Presbyterian Conciliation Service, That's active. There's 15 people who have been trained and they are sent in twos to different congregations that are experiencing conflict. Methodists have theirs, Church of Ireland have theirs, and other denominations have theirs. There are processes that we can use. Use the church, which possesses resources for assisting during times of disagreement. Disagreement. So I suppose a question for you to ask yourself is what are the processes in my church for dealing with disagreement? Continue to seek the restoration of the offender. Um, Jesus here says, treat them as a tax collector and sinner. Then we think, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? Well, he had meals with them. Continually inviting them to repent. Continually reaching out the hand of friendship. Continually doing it. Reaching out. I know we like to read that as shutting the door. But I don't get that sense from Jesus. So there we are. Move towards conflict. See it as a an issue to be dealt with, not something secret. Talk to the person directly. Develop a new understanding. Look, there are ways of working at this issue. It doesn't have to be secret. One of the dangers in the Christian church is whenever something happens in a congregation, because we've got such a negative view of conflict, it's kept down, off the agenda, Don't talk about it. Let's hope it goes away. Almost like kneeling the carpet down, but then it comes up at other times, in other situations. Often worse. And a great danger is, of course, talking to other people not involved. So we get other people involved and the thing grows and grows. One thing I do know from my experience is this. When there's a conflict in a church... You can't put it in the freezer and bring it out six months later and it being exactly the same. It's never the same. It's always kind of it's always there and often it's always growing underneath and then it comes through again. And if we keep it secret then we delay intervention and delay means well, like a small fire, you walk away from it can be a big roaring inferno later on it may take may take a month it may take a year it may take two years, but it just doesn 't stay the same okay develop a greater understanding of self now this is a very important from my experience of working particularly with senior leaders, ministers, pastors. Elders, whatever. This is very important. Know that there is a piece of you that is unknown to you, but is known to everyone who sees you in leadership. A piece of you which is unknown to you, but is known to everyone else who sees you in leadership. Develop a greater understanding of ourselves. We may know our strengths, but do you know what you find stressful? And do you know how to reduce your stress? How do others see you? Is there someone that can give you honest feedback about your leadership? How do you see and understand other people? Now, these are big questions, but let me just tell you a little personal story. I did a little test quite a few years ago because I was a leader of a of a group of youth leaders, 30 or so of them, and we we did this test about our leadership where we had to answer 40 or 50 questions and tabulate those out and we were in small groups and when we'd done this I said to my small group I've done this but it's not really right it shows me as quite a forceful leader and one of the people sitting beside me says yeah that is you that is you Joe I didn't see myself like that she did and so did others that was the piece of me that I couldn't see I wonder what the piece in you is that you can't see. Take a test like that, Mars briggs type indicator, or there, there's one of them, but there's dozens of tests like that, which you can take yourself, or maybe better still, with others, and um, talk to one another, and get a little feedback from other people. Let's look at this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? No, Jesus said, lots more than that. James says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, and every evil practice. Too often I see Christian leaders leading because of their position and authority that's been given to them rather than leading through the relationships with those that they're leading. That somehow or other to where collar back to front somehow or other makes you bigger and somehow better than others rather than leading through relationships they're leading through authority the bit that we cannot see ourselves sometimes um, let me read another verse to you where A woman came to Jesus and she said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Sometimes if we have been hurt by someone in the church, we kind of suffer wounded pride. I deserve better than this. I'm the pastor. I'm the leader. I should be treated better than this. And sometimes it's more about our pride and our authority. I deserve better treatment. This pride makes us very stubborn, strong-willed, and makes forgiveness very difficult. Now, I've done lots of uh, workplace mediation and community mediation. I have to say that some of the church stuff kind of is a bit stronger and a bit more difficult There's a sense in which people in the church feel that God's on their side. But not on their brother or sister's side, who just sits along the pew or two seats in front on a Sunday morning. I want to say that we need to work at this stuff. Like two people need to work at a marriage. It just doesn't happen. It's a lifelong journey. Developing understanding of conflict and and also understanding of self. It's a lifelong journey and we need to commit ourselves to learning and working at human relations right across the board. For where your envy and selfish ambition is, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. Let me go to my third tip for Christian leaders. Understand how groups function. That's youth groups, women's groups, small groups. Groups of elders, groups of deacons, pastors, stewards, whatever. We all need to understand how groups of people work together. And probably the greatest majority of, of cases that I've been involved in in congregations are it happens in that sort of situation where it's a group of elders or a group of committee or stewards or whatever they are, deacons, And there's a difference there. And there's a fallout there. The whole tension between togetherness as a group of brothers and sisters in Christ versus having my say, which is different from that other person on the other side of the table. That kind of tension. Togetherness and having my say. It's a great It's a hard tension that Jesus was a good model of it, actually. But that's a, to me, that's a a, a key issue acting and understanding under my own convictions while staying connected to the group I'm leading or group I'm part of. It requires great honesty, trust, openness. And it requires that we get over the temptation to be silent, not to speak for fear of disagreement. It also requires that we think about how we structure meetings in terms of agenda. Where do we put things on the agenda if you're drawing up the agenda? Well, if it's a if it's a big issue, you have it up the agenda, but rather than tagged on at the end when people are tired and want to go home. So, and, and how, you, how you seat people that have a, a discussion to have, a difficult discussion to have, how they're seated, and who sees who, and all of that is all very critical. And so often, I have seen meetings run very badly people are sitting looking at the back of one another's heads and there's just no communication, no eye contact and little understanding. I remember working on a in a church and um, it was over a period of four or five meetings and these particular elders and there was a fairly large number of them and I had them sometimes in groups talking to one another and I'd often give them a topic to talk about. And at the end, this young lad came to me and he said to me, Joe, I've been an elder in this church for 12 years. And you see that man over there? I've spoken more to him tonight than I've ever done in 12 years. Now, if we're going to be leaders, we need to get connected to one another. We need to pray with one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to have connections. To many of our churches in this rural community, there are farmers who are elders, good men and women. But they're used to working on their own or working with animals, or working with machinery. And then we bring them into a meeting with 20 other people, and we expect them to take part at the same level as the business people, who are doing that all the time in their work. It just doesn't work. We need to develop skills in running meetings. We need to develop the skills which silence big talkers and encourage small talkers. Now, those are all skills that we need to have. They just don't happen. We have to work at it. And we have to structure our church meetings to enable that to happen. Understand how groups function. A couple more things I'd say on this. Most pastors self-define their jobs. They're appointed but they more or less self-define what they're going to do and what their priorities are. And usually that's okay, unless there's one or two other leaders who have a slightly different definition of what they should do. So we need to work on our job descriptions and our responsibilities and our review of how our leaders are doing. Not a, not a catch them out but a review, an honest conversation, how we are doing as a church. Not just self-defining your own job and then going ahead and doing it. Also, well, I want to just say a bit about structures here in a second, but job descriptions of youth leaders and pastoral assistants and organists are usually so vague and they're just asking for misunderstanding, which then leads to conflict. So all of those things need to be carefully tightened up within our church. Now, another Bible reading. This is about a conflict in the early church, and it's really good that it wasn't cut out of the New Testament and left to one side. And when you're writing the history of your congregation, be sure to put in some conflicts that have had over the years. But here they did it in the early church. They didn't cut it out. They kept it open. Let me read it. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was a wise decision to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement. By the way, that's New Testament for a bloody (laughs) rye. Sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now these are are two close mates. These guys have been with one another for a long time and have come through real hardships together. Barnabas and Paul They had a sharp disagreement and they had a row and they fell out over Mark. And we don't know why Mark let them down. Maybe he was too young. Maybe he couldn't hack the the ship journeys that was involved with them. Maybe he couldn't hack the um, sacrificial worship that the skipper and the crew of the boats were making on the mountain before they came and sailed off with them. Maybe that young lad just couldn't hack it. Whatever he bunked out, let them down. And Paul said, that's it. Barnabas said, no, by the way, Barnabas was related to him, which maybe gives us some indication of his feel for the situation. But Barnabas said, maybe we could give him one other chance. Paul said, no, no, he's had his chance. It's kind of interesting that these two guys, right after the council in Jerusalem, this was, where it was just... He just a blazing rye and they fell out which must have been a very painful for both of them well it's interesting Paul wrote this only Luke is with me get Mark this is of course a while later get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. same Mark. Some years later. He recovered. Mark went on. And Paul had good experiences of him. Now, we don't, we don't actually know. This is where it would be great to have the whole story. But you never can get the whole story. It would be great to know if Paul ever apologized to him. Oh, I want to apologize for writing you off five years ago. You've done well. and It's good to have you. We don't know that at all. But we do know that Park... Paul highly respected Mark. Get Mark. Bring him here. He's useful to me in my ministry. The other thing we don't know is, did he ever make it up with Barnabas? We don't know. Like to think that, but we just don't know. But Paul wrote this get rid of all bitterness. It's the same guy who just had a row. Well, he's writing it some years later, but same guy. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and bawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ. God forgive you. Well, what we do know is Paul learnt some lessons. There he's written them down there, um, and we do get a sense that probably, in the process of time, his relationship with Barnabas was repaired. Number four: discern what approach is best. Now, in any conflict, there are about five different ways—at least five, probably seven or eight. But I can identify about five ways of approaching a situation of conflict. Either you're part of it, or you're maybe trying to help two others. But let's just take your part of it for a moment. There are about five ways. Here they are. Well, you can be, um, you can be forceful. And you can stand your ground. Or you can Collaborate with the other person how can we how can we work on this you know how can we get this together or you can compromise oh well okay well you do that and i'll do this that's compromise or you might avoid just keep that stuff off the agenda we'll not talk about that we'll not even raise that again that's all that's off or you might accommodate oh well Whatever you want, that's okay. I'm happy. You just do whatever you want. Just roll over. That's about five ways. Now, each one of those actually is right in its context. So there are times when you just roll over. In other words, this isn't important. This thing that we're—it's not important. Or to avoid, yeah, it might be. It might be good to avoid at times. But the person who always avoids or the person who's always forceful or the person who always compromises then they need to think again because there are different ways of handling conflict and the skill for us is deciding which one to use which one to be used on any particular issue a question to ask ourselves is What is the issue between me and that other person? Separate out the other person a minute. What is the issue? Quite separate from the person. Now that's a particular skill where we can separate out the person and the issue and work hard on the issue and go easy on the person. What is the issue at stake? And the second one is Is this important? Because if it's not important, why worry about it? There's plenty of other stuff to get working on. So decide if it's important and if it's worth. Does it really matter? Here's a question. Is my relationship with this person more important than that issue? Is my relationship with this person more important than that issue. Another question. In this issue between me and him or her, who else needs to be involved in helping us here? Is there someone behind me that's manipulating me? Is there someone behind him or her manipulating them? Who else needs to be involved? Because we could reach agreement... But if there's people behind us still stirring stuff up, then that agreement will soon collapse. Who else needs to be involved? Discern what approach is best. Now, my Bible passage for this is an interesting one. Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebronic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So here's a cultural divide in the church, the early church. You had those who spoke Greek, those who spoke Hebrew, those who were ethnic Jews and those who were coming in from the outside. Now, it wasn't just a language issue. It was a cultural issue. Our widows are not being taken care of the way yours are. So there's another conflict in the early church. They had plenty of them, and they didn't cut this one out. So the 12, all Jews, by the way, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables and feed these widows. Brothers, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. So they decided, will involve those who are complaining in the resolution of their conflict, involving the people. And again, a good example of the leader's Moving towards conflict. Now, of course, in some churches, the leaders would have said, look, just come the line. The elders say this, and that's it. Or the majority say this, and that's it. Or we're the leaders of the church. We do it this way. But no, no. These guys wanted to hear. They cocked their ears. They knew their own responsibility, preaching and teaching and they recognized that that early church had to obey the law of Moses, which was about looking after widows and orphans. So they involved the people. I said, okay, you elect um, people to organize this. So they did. Let's read on. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochoas, Nikar, Timon, Parmaeus, and Nicholas, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So there's a conflict. The very first verse, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the very last verse, So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. So the church is growing, and in the middle of it, there's a conflict. What do the leaders do? They work on it, creatively, definitely, and it went on. Notice all those names, by the way, were uh, uh, Grecian names. So they they picked guys, all guys. They picked them all uh, quite separate from the Jewish leaders. And by the way, that's a change in structure in the church. First time deacons come into the church. So you have kind of teaching elders or pastors, and then you have this other group who are deacons. It's kind of interesting. So the structure changed to accommodate a growing church, which kept on growing in the midst of conflict. An opportunity for structural change. The 12 apostles could have outvoted them, said, Just you guys come into line. The leaders moved towards the tension, not away from it. They did it early when the issue was small. They identified the issue. It's widows. It's feeding them. It's orphans. It's feeding them. It's about fairness and justice. Although I sometimes wonder, was that the real issue there? Was it just about widows and orphans? Or were those... New converts to the church saying, hey, we have a voice here. We want a hand in this. It isn't all you Jews. You need to hear our voice as well. I tend to think that the presenting issue, which was food and welfare, wasn't the real issue. Behind it, there was a voiceless group of people who needed to be heard and empowered to get on with their work. Okay, last point. Gather some tools. Gather some tools to work a conflict. Now, let me say just about this. Tools that will help you move towards conflict in a thoughtful, reflective way, not in a bull in a china shop kind of style. Tools that will help you to distinguish between the issue of conflict and the person. Tools that will help you listen better, especially in times of tension. Now, most of us find it difficult to listen to other people all the time, especially if they go on a bit. But when there's tension around and when we have one view and we know their view is different, we listen very badly. In fact, it's almost impossible to break through the din in our heads to hear that other person. We need to train ourselves to put our own agenda on hold and listen to that other person or that other group. So tools to do that. Tools that will help you rephrase what the other person has said. So I want to just be sure what you're saying is, and then you tell them what they've just said. Have I got that right? No, 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 no. And then they'll tell you again. Now have I got it right? Yeah. be careful not to inflame a conflict be careful not to inflame a conflict remember there are always two sides to a situation and if somebody comes to you about some other person always remember that there's two sides an old man said to me one time he said joe It's a very thin sheet of paper that doesn't have two sides. Every conflict has got two sides. And if you've only heard one of them, you're only half informed. I've sometimes been in that situation, and you listen to one person, and you say, okay, and you go away thinking, gosh, that's a really nice person. It seems... Crazy what they're telling me about this other person. They must be a real org, and then you go to that other person and you hear their side of it and you think they're they're quite a nice person too and so somewhere in the middle is where the truth is. Remember there's always two sides and get some tools. Remember there's always two sides. Training workshops for you or perhaps all of the leaders in your church. These workshops are available now from people like Gordon, and there's other groups and Mediation Northern Ireland. There's groups that will run a workshop for you and your leaders in your church, and we call that conflict prevention. Just help. You know, like a topic could be how we make decisions, decision making in the local church. Seems obvious. Well, until people disagree with your decision. So there's lots of ways in which you can get help. There's always something you can do. And here's the something. Someone comes to you about some, somebody else in the church. Instead of joining with them and saying, yeah, I find them like that as well. I, I don't know what you do. I, 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 I agree with you absolutely. Instead of doing that, why not say to them, hmm, that's interesting. Why don't you and I go and talk to them about that and see if we can reach some sort of new understanding? Maybe you've picked them up wrong. Maybe they overemphasize something. Why don't you and I go together? That's biblical. What's throwing petrol on the fire is, yeah, I agree with you. Let's talk to other people. All these skills don't come naturally. And if they did, it would be terrific. They need practice. They need development. But we, all of us, can do this stuff better. Be more confident, competent and resilient in conflict. Develop a new understanding. Develop a greater understanding of yourself understand how groups function, discern what approach is best, and gather useful tools for working on conflict. I told you I wasn't pushing books or anything like that, but if you want to follow up, I have found that, particularly the first one, very helpful. The website is Training Opportunities Mediation Northern Ireland, and then they can be in touch with Gordon or other people. But that's the kind of clearing house that you will get help for your denomination or your congregation in these tense times. Now, we have about five or seven minutes. Gordon, some questions from anyone? Okay. Okay. So the role of the, well, sometimes conflict in a congregation can be a humbling time for a congregation especially if that congregation has been a bit arrogant and a bit self-centered and a bit growing and big, having a conflict can be a very humbling thing. So I say that's the first thing. Recognize God is doing a work in you and probably in other people. I think recognize, she's talking about just differences in her own congregation, probably there are leaders in that who know that things are not right. You sense it? Yeah. But you're experiencing the silence. Don't talk about this. Just keep it. Yeah, very common. Well, I would encourage you informally, very informally, just to help people to talk about what has happened. Not in a scandalous way, just to talk and to pray together about what has happened. God will lead you out. Sure. Well, I think you can make it better in your congregation by just talking privately and compassionately and caringly, especially to those who probably don't agree with you. Yeah. He's asking, at what what point do you you get help from outside? Yeah. Um, So the question is, at what point do you ask for outside help? outside your own congregation. I would suggest, you know, if if the leaders have honestly tried to work on this and can't seem to solve it, rather than just leaving it, that's the time to get help from outside through conciliation or mediation or whatever you want to call it, but to get uh, help from outside. Now, let, let me just say something that getting help from outside is a sign of strength, not weakness. It is a sign of strength. And we have somehow convinced ourselves and our church leaders that somehow getting help from outside is a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of health, And that's part of the new understanding that we've got to work at in conflict. Okay, one more question. Yeah, his question is, what does a church do when you've had Outside mediation help, and they have walked away and nothing has changed. Okay. Well, then, if those mediators have walked away, you need to find out why that is, and perhaps they have decided that this is not suitable for mediation. This is a church law issue, and the congregation or the denomination need to sort this out. And that's when you would well, bishop or presbytery or whatever the higher structure is. I mean, not everything is amenable to mediation. But a lot of things are if it's early enough, if you get help early enough. But uh, you need to find out why. I want to finish because I'm conscious of time. Is this okay, Gordon? Yep. Um, I want to just give you a wee image and then I'm going to pray. But you know that story in Mark's gospel of the disciples in the boat going across Galilee, night comes, uh, Jesus is in the stern of the boat sleeping under a duvet, storm comes. You Remember that? I want you to hold that little picture of a storm and the disciples and Jesus in the boat. Let's pray. Lord, we pray today for those who awake to destructive winds and threatening waves, no less real, but of a different kind. Storms building in their fellowship and churches, hurt, tiredness, exhaustion, working for change and it not happening, Like the disciples, Heavenly Father, we're tempted to cry out, Jesus, don't you see what's going on? Are you under the duvet asleep while we're under the threat of harm? Don't you care if we drown in this mess? Lord Jesus, come to us in the storm and speak those words Powerfully to our hearts, quiet, be still. Calm our restless, raging hearts, our emotions of anger and fear and cynicism. Fill us with deep love for you. Flood our hearts with understanding and love for others. Give us the courage and the grace to be peacemakers courage, and grace. Save us, Lord, from cynicism, we pray. Fill us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.